1: In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 69 through 72.
0: Can you get the picture how his mother and his brothers grew up as kids under this cloud of Jesus' apparent illegitimacy? And that's a small town. That's a culture that wasn't as enlightened as ours. And you realize I'm being facetious. You know, I often wonder how it must have been interesting for his half-brothers when they discover that this nut that they, the half-brother, really was the Messiah. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine that? Two of them, James and Jude, wrote books in the New Testament. They become believers after the resurrection. Boy, it must have been interesting for them to grow up. Because they, grew, they, they, they knew his nuances, his body language, the glimmer in his eye on a, on a, on a, on a, on a casual expression, Can you, reflecting those 30 years. They were blind to, obviously, until after the resurrection. But let's go on. This this mother's children thing. Mary had other children. That's confirmed in the Gospels in Matthew 13 and Mark 6. We'll look at it in a minute. He became an alien unto his mother's children. doesn't say father's children. Why? Because Joseph wasn't his father. He knew that. Mary knew that. No one else in the village understood that. See, they were half-brothers, half-sisters. Who knows is, you know, the, the, the cloud of illegitimacy hangs over that. You have to believe that he grew up in a very unhappy home. That's got to be tough when you think it through. That's got to be tough. By the way, this verse also is a subtle teaching of the virgin birth. It's often overlooked from that point of view. In Matthew thirteen thirty-five, it says, "Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? His brethren James, Joseph, and Simon, and Judas? Their name, the form named by Matthew in uh, chapter thirteen. Mark picks up on Peter, in effect, picks up on this and adds a couple of other details. Is not this carpenter the son of Mary? The brother James, Joseph, and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us. Notice the carpenter is Jesus. So he apparently picked up the trade of his of Joseph. Follow me. We assume that, but here's one of the." Here's the verse that sort of suggests that. And we also discover he had at least two sisters. Maybe more. We don't know. So we usually assume seven in the family. But then he continues. Let's go on. This is the the verse that the Lord quotes in reference to the temple. Verse 9. For the zeal of thine house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. And in John chapter 2 found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers' money uh, sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. He's no namby-pamby Sunday school Jesus here. This guy is... Yeah, there's a lot of common expressions I won't use here, but... he. uh, And said unto them, those soul doves, take these things, hence make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And the disciples, and his disciples remembered, that's interesting, that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Why do they remember it? Because they sang it when they sang Psalm 69 as a hymn in, 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 in worship. They tied it together. Continuing in Psalm 69, when I wept, I chastened my soul with fasting. That was to my reproach. I made sackcloth also my garment, and I became a proverb to them. What does that mean? Whenever he would fast or weep, his brothers would ridicule him for it. Probably say he's just putting on an act. Imagine how that cut. Not as an incident over those 30 years. I made sackcloth also in my garment. I became a proverb to them. What proverb are we talking about? What were they calling him? What what phrase do we use for someone who's illegitimate? Bastard. That's our common, accurate vocabulary for that designation in in our vernacular. That's what they're calling him. That's what they would call him today under those circumstances. You need to understand there's 30 years of that in a small town in a very restrictive culture. And to really appreciate this, you need to do your own study in John chapter 8, where the Pharisees and Christ are in a confrontation. And what do they say to him during that tense exchange? We be not a fornication. That cloud hangs over him in John 8. Before the chapter ends, a few verses later, he explains what their fatherhood is. You're the father, you're the father of the devil. It was a murder from the beginning, and he goes on. I mean, John 8, I, I, that's, a, that's quite a chapter. You want to understand. That was so, they, no one was being nice to anybody there. they, they was, no, the gloves were off. But that cloud that hung over him as a small kid, growing up in Nazareth, for, up till he was 30 when he was of age. That hung there. Didn't go away. Wasn't buried. Wasn't excused. Wasn't explained away. It hang, hung there. Verse 12. They that sit in the gate. That's the, the, that's the leadership. That's the high officials of the town. The judges. They that sit at the gate. Speak against me. The best people in Nazareth spoke against him. And of course you realize, I think you all know how forgiving small towns are. His life in Nazareth was not nice. It gets worse. He says, and I was the song of the drunkards. Really? The drunkards down at the bar made up songs about he and his mother. Anyone correct that? Anyone take up his cause? I don't think so. The little ditties were about him and his mother. Why did he endure all of this? What was gained by all this? He was raised in a town where he was called illegitimate in order that I might be called uh, legitimate, a legitimate son of God. The son of God bore that for me on the cross, he paid the penalty for my sin. We have no idea what he endured for 30 years in order that you and I might have clear title to be called a legitimate son of God. He took 30 years of illegitimacy as a, as a label. He endured that so that we would have clear title to the opposite of that. That's breathtaking. It was to me because that's something I had never thought about that. I've studied the Bible for what, 50 years or more? And never, it never occurred to me that those 30 years would be dark years during which he was enduring this on my behalf. Never thought about that before. Meanwhile, this guy with a cloud of genealogy has the most distinguished genealogy in the universe. He has the most distinguished family tree in history. It is encrypted in the Torah. Genesis 38 has the line of David encrypted in it. It was prophesied generations in advance in the, during the time of the judges in Ruth chapter 4. It very cleverly evades the blood curse in Jeconiah. There's probably not one pastor in a hundred that knows about that. And of course, the virgin birth is a subject in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3.15. And of course, echoed in Isaiah 7.14, Psalm 69, also 110, and other places. So he, here's this guy that has endured those stigma of illegitimacy when in fact... He knew that his genealogy was the most distinguished on the, ever, that has ever occurred on the planet Earth. Going on verse 13. But as for me, my prayer is unto thee, O Lord, in an acceptable time, O God, in the multitude of thy mercy, hear me, in the truth of thy salvation. Paul quotes this in his Second Corinthian letter, if you will. 2 Corinthians 6, 2, he says, For he saith, I have heard thee in the time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I uh, secured thee, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He goes on to make his point. See, the gospel tells us that Jesus prayed. It doesn't tell what he prayed. The psalm tells us what he prayed. Kind of interesting how that all fits together. What a, what a tapestry is being woven here. He says, he says deliver, now this echoes the opening phrases of the psalm about the waters and being in the mire. He says, deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from them that hate me and out of the deep waters. Let not the water flood overflow me, neither let the deep swallow me up. Let not the pit shut her mouth upon me. Wow, what's all that about? Remember Jesus said about the sign of the prophet Jonah. Let's take a look at that. In Matthew 12, Jesus says, And he answered and said to them, "An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. There shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Matthew 12:40, Very key verse. We learn a lot from that. We know that, first of all, we know that, Joseph, that Jonah was a real prophet. Okay, fine. We know how long he was in the whale. Three days and three nights, right? We might call that seventy-two hours, right? That also tells us that the crucifixion could not have been on a Friday. You can do the math. That's church tradition, and I don't offend anyone. But any serious scholar can argue about Wednesday or Thursday under different conditions. But still, it wasn't anyway what it is. it, It is. It also tells us, interestingly enough, where Sheol is. It's not in the outer darkness. That's Gehenna. Ultimately, it's in the center of the earth. It's the only place you're going to have a bottomless pit. Because there's a point at which all directions are up. And I, I, you say, I'm jer- you're being facetious. No, I'm not. I'm being, ge- I'm being topological. Anyway, we all assume that the sign of Jonah, all we're talking about is the three days and three nights. That's, he didn't say that. He just says, that's just part of it. That's just part of it. Let's find out about what happened to Jonah. The sign of the prophet Jonah. What does it include? Three days and three nights for sure. Let's take a look at Jonah's chapter 2. Jonah says, And he said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of what? Sheol, the grave. Hell, translated in your English, but it should be Sheol. It's sometimes translated grave, but even that's not quite correct. A grave can be owned. It's it's the, 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 the place of the physical body, as we think of grave. Grave can have title. I can buy your grave, you can buy mine. No, Sheol is the abode of the departed. It is equivalent to the Greek term Hades, okay? Out of the belly of hell, out of the, out of Sheol I cried, where is Jonah? Is he alive? Many people don't buy this. Some scholars believe he died. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. And thou heardest my voice, for thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about, and thy, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. Boy, you can just picture it, can't you? You smell the seaweed? I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought, me, uh, uh, brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. It's not universally agreed to, but there are some serious scholars that believe that Jonah actually died and was brought back to life. Now, either way, it serves as a valid model of what Jesus went through, because he, make, he identifies himself with the sign of the prophet Jonah. Not just the three days, three nights. That's key, of course. Maybe much more than that. The earth where there bars is about me forever, yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. So let's get back to Psalm 69. What did he say? Deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from them that hate me and out of the deep waters. Let not the water flood overflow me. Neither let the deep swallow me up. And let not the pit shut her mouth upon me. He might be using that as a metaphor, but clearly it's linked to Jonah's experience. Whether well, you look at it metaphorically or actually. You see the linkage. Okay. Psalmist goes on. Hear me, O Lord, for thy loving kindness is good. Turn unto me according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Boy. And hide not thy face from thy servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Draw nigh unto my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of mine enemies. Thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. Mine adversaries are all before thee. We have no idea what those adversaries include. When we were in Psalm 22, where Jesus is apparently hanging on the cross, he says, the bulls of Bashan have surrounded me. What on earth is that all about? Bashan was the cattle raising area up there. It was also the place with Og, the king of the giants. It was the region of the Raphaim or the Nephilim. Demonic hybrids. I don't know what Psalm 22 is focusing on. I don't think there are some cattle around the cross. No, I think there's, there he's speaking of demonics of some form or another. Deliver me because of mine enemies. Thou hast known my reproach, my shame, my dishonor. Mine adversaries are all before thee. <laughs> reproach hath broken my heart. What did Jesus die of, by the way? And American Medical Association written an extensive article on that. He died of what? A broken heart, literally. Absolutely. Interesting. To this day, the rabbis celebrating Passover mix warm water with their wine if they're following the the tradition. They have no explanation why they do that. The rabbis argue. Where did that start? They don't know. There's different conjectures. They're not sure. The reason they're not sure is they haven't read Matthew 27 because of the water and the blood and so forth. Anyway, Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Let their table become a snare before them, and that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Is that Jesus talking? This is his imprecatory prayer. C.S. Lewis said of this, here we get, <laughs> I love this phrase, a refinement of malice. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul quotes this. Let me finish before I But it Let their eyes be darkened that they see not. Make their loins continually to shake. Pour out thine indignation upon them and let thy wrathful anger take hold of it. This is the son talking to his father. You don't want them mad at you. Let well, become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not. Make their loins continually to shake. Oh, man, pour out thine indignation upon them, and let thy wrathful anger take hold of them. Ooh. Paul writes in Romans eleven. David saith, Let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. Obviously, Paul, Paul is quoting from Psalm 69 and it's in, in pregatory prayer. Next verse continues the same flavor. Let their habitation be desolate. Habitation is actually a word for their palace. And what it reads, and none dwell in their tents, or more precisely than the Hebrew, Uh, Let there not be a dweller in their tents. This is quoted by Peter in Acts chapter 1 verse 20 in reference to Judas Iscariot. Let's take a look at it. In uh, Acts uh, chapter 1, For he was numbered with us that he had obtained part of his ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of his iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gushed out. Sorry if that's a little graphic. It doesn't seem graphic. You weren't paying attention. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch that that field is called in their proper tongue, Akadelma, uh, which is to say the field of blood. For it is written in the book of the Psalms, Psalm 69: let, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. And, uh, okay, Peter, thank you. And moving on to the, the, the Psalm: For they persecute him whom thou hast smitten and they talk to the grief of those whom thou hast wounded, add iniquity unto their iniquity. Let them not come into thy righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. Boy, boy. Now, we get a lot of confusion about books, by the way, and I'm not going to get into a whole study of this. Obviously, their books are plural. In Daniel chapter 7, when the books were open, it's plural, not just one. Revelation 20, verse 12, same thing. Books are open. There's more than one. We have a book of life. No, there's more than that. There's the book of the living, mentioned in Psalm 139 and here, in Psalm sixty nine. There's the book of life in the salvation sense that's alluded to in Revelation 13, 17, and 21. The book of life, in the Lamb's book of life, in salvation sense. There's also a book of life that clearly deals with rewards. So it's a book of re- works, in effect. Philippians 4, 3, and Revelation 3, 5. Causes a lot of confusion. We won't unravel that confusion in this study, but be aware of the fact there is some confusion on those two issues. Continuing Psalm 69, But I am poor and sorrowful. Let thy salvation, O God, set me up on high. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or a bullock that hath horns or hoofs. The humble shall see this and be glad, and your heart shall live that seek God. You know, there's only two categories. Paul emphasizes in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. Everyone in this room is in one of two categories. If this all seems foolish, or it's of your salvation. In one category or the other, there's only two, in the, in, in, as far as this goes. going. Let's continue Psalm 69. For the Lord heareth the poor and despiseth not his prisoners. Let the heaven and the earth praise him, the seas, and every living thing that moveth therein. Wow, that's quite a bunch. Every living thing is going to praise God. That's interesting. I mean, where you think it through? For God will save Zion. Wow. I don't know how most churches deal with this verse. Because they don't believe in a literal kingdom of a literal millennium or the ro- role of Israel in, in God's program. For God will save Zion, and he will build the cities of Judah, that they may dwell there and have it in possession. Really? And that won't happen until the times of Gentiles be over and they end with the Antichrist. The seed also of his servant shall inherit it. Really? The seed also of his servant shall inherit it. And they that love his name shall dwell therein. Psalm 69. Is that a handful? is that fun? I think so. I don't want to close on this dark stuff let's contrast this one that endured for more than 30 years this stigma. Let's find a just, let's remind ourselves of what we learned back in Psalm 2 this cosmic war that's coming it has four voices the voice of the nations, the first three verses, the voice of the Father, the next few, the voice of the Son, and the voice of the Spirit. We have, we have a dialogue, or really a trilogue among the Trinity going on here Let's start with the first three verses. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. And guess who else? Against his anointed. Oh, there's two of them. Saying, this is what they're saying. They're either, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Really? How do the heathen try to cast away the bonds or cords or hindrances that God has ordained? Let's take a look at, where did this all begin? In Acts chapter 4, when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people? Imagine if anything, you quoting Psalm 2 here. The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against Christ as Lord and against the Lord and against his Christ for truth. Against thy holy child, Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. And so it goes, right? So that's the first three verses. Let us break their bands, et cetera. How do they break the? What kind of bands are we talking about? Marriage. God-ordained marriage. What are the heathen trying to unravel? Marriage. Our culture is... Trying to unravel, by heterosexuality, heterosexuality is the bonds that was put there, homosexuality is the rebuttal to that. What other bands? The Ten Commandments. That's not for us. And they're in our courtrooms, get them off. The judge, more, anyway. The rule of law, that's the only thing we're, that's our allegiance to in this country is the rule of law. Not anymore. Not anymore, not with corrupt judges, not with no accountability to our elected officials. Okay, let's move to the next one. The voice of the Father, the next uh, three verses. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. That's God's reaction all this. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king oh, upon the holy hill of Zion. And back in Isaiah, he says, I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I have not said unto the sea of Jacob, Seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness, I declare things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up the wood of the graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye and bring them near, yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I, the Lord? And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. A Savior. God and what? A Savior. That's exciting.
1: You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the Book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-K-House1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.